Welcome to the live stream. Uh, we're going to be answering a lot of questions. Uh, we're going to be answering um, some of the comments that have been left on the regular channel as well as the podcast. You're either listening to this uh, afterward. If you're not watching this on the YouTube uh, live stream, uh, you also will have Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Amazon. Welcome in. Thank you so much. Let me turn off Peter, make that easy. Okay, here we go. So the first question is actually probably one of my favorite questions I've ever gotten. And that is, uh, John, thanks for all the info uh, you put out with your videos and your podcast. I'm hoping to upgrade in a couple years to a fifth wheel small toy hauler. In doing research, I have found the Genesis Supreme toy haulers Woohoo! My favorite. Um, check out most of the boxes. I am looking for something short, so I like the 28CR model. In researching this, how in researching this, how can in researching this is how I came across your channel. Unfortunately, I live in British Columbia, and Genesis does not have any Canadian dealers. We like to camp three seasons off the grid. And I was wondering what your thoughts are if the Genesis Supreme with the Arctic package would work up north. Our current pull-behind trailer has a fresh water tank inside and exposed gray and black tanks and has worked for us for the last 16 years camping in the colder seasons. I think he meant to say colder, not shoulder. I know you are going to be doing a video about the end of the propane fridge. I'm super interested on that as currently we use our fridge for weeks at a time on propane. A few other things that I would be interested if you need any more ideas for videos. Specific to the Genesis Supreme Toy Hauler, what type of flooring is in the area that would be used in the garage? Uh, some look like they have carpet or vinyl. How many tie-downs are in the garage area? Construction of the Genesis Supreme. Not much on info online. Factory tour would be really cool if you could do that. What type of warrant do they come with? Other general info. info. Uh, info on how to import an RV into Canada if it was purchased from a dealer in the USA. Keep those videos coming, Steve. Well, let's start with this, Steve. Genesis Supreme probably makes the best overall toy hauler in the market today. Part of the reason why is they're an independent. They're not owned by Thor. They're not owned by Forest River, Winnebago, any of the major five manufacturers. That's number one. Number two, Pablo, who's the owner of Genesis, and his son Chris are probably the only two guys that are in an executive position of an RV manufacturer that actually built them in the factory. So Pablo used to work for Thor Industries in California building the Wanderer, uh, the Transport, the Jazz, uh, and some of the Class C models that were built out of Southern California. So he understands how to put together a unit. Now, how they're built. They're aluminum constructed in the si uh, sidewalls, wood constructed in the roof, and in the basement. Okay. Now, to answer your question about the Arctic package real quick. Yes, the Arctic package would work up north, but you still, no matter what RV you buy, 
if you're going to camp in zero plus degree weather, um, my recommendation to you is make sure you seal your windows up really good. Make sure you skirt the fifth wheel toy hauler. And also at the same time, because my wife especially knows this, you're going to have to run some kind of space heater or the furnace pretty much a while. Even with all the insulation that they put, like they put a double foam insulation in the roof as part of the Arctic package, and they also put an extra layer of insulation in the underbelly. But no matter what toy hauler you buy, Steve, it's a two-inch thick sidewall. So there's only so much insulation that you could put in a two-inch thick sidewall. And windows are the weakest point of any RV because it isn't the same type of windows. They call them double pane or thermal pane windows. They're not the same thing as you put in your house. So when you buy a, build a home, the type of windows they put, especially in extreme cold weather, are a lot different than what they put in even the most upscale RV, including mobile suites, provost, etc. It's a different type of window. Is it insulated? Sure. Is it insulated like a home? No. So what I'm going to do, Steve, is I'm going to recommend you. I'm actually going to email you back finally because I got your email the other day. I'm going to email you back a link to one of the videos I did where my wife and I put insulation on the outside of our windows up in Klamath Falls, Oregon. That seemed to help better than doing anything else that we have done. Doing that window covering as well as uh, skirting the underbelly really helped out because you're talking about up in the mountains by Crater Lake in Oregon, you have nights where it gets minus 10, minus 8. And I'm pretty sure in British Columbia, it gets pretty freaking cold in the winter. I mean, probably not as cold as Saskatchewan or, or, or Alberta. But I'm pretty sure it gets pretty damn cold. So there are things you can do to help. Would it be better? Yes. Is it better built than anything in Indiana? As a toy hauler, yes. Okay. Now, as far as the type of flooring, the carpet that you're seeing in the videos or in the pictures is a carpet kit. It's the same flooring they use in every single RV, that like laminate type of stuff. All right. So they use like a scratch resistant type of floor. That's what they use, a scratch and 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 uh, burn and and pin prick type of a material. Even though I've proven over and over again they still tear. It takes a lot to tear it. Have you heard of the trailer towed 5000? It's an axle your hitch is attached to takes the weight off your truck. Ooh, I like that. Theo, I may have to actually research that. I have not. So, um, wow, you gave me another thing to research. That's really cool. I'm going to look into that. Um, moving forward with this. Um, so the carpet kit rolls up and is set aside. So um, the tie downs are usually every 18 inches to two feet. So like in a 16-foot cargo area, you probably have 8 to 12 tie-downs, depending on if it has a slide-out or not. If it has a slide-out, it's probably going to have closer to 8 to 10. If it has a slide, it's probably only going to have, or if it doesn't have a slide, you might have up to 12. So it really depends on the layout. 
So some layouts have more tie downs, some layouts have less. It depends on the kitchen. It depends on where the cabinets are and depends if it has a slide out or not. Now, typically in a garage model, if it's a separate garage, if it's a 12 foot garage, it's gonna have six. If it's a 14 foot garage, it's gonna have eight. Now that's just a general statement. Some, some models that Genesis build have more, some have exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Um, really the other part about how, how Genesis is built is he still vacuum bonds the sidewalls. So that's a lamination process where they basically suck the glue out or suck the air out during the gluing process. And then he pinch rolls uh, the uh, floor and the subfloor. And then from what I am can tell now, the newer stuff is vacuum bonded in the ceiling as well. Now, I think the reason why he does uh, all the way, the, a little mixture of all of it is because of the amount of insulation he puts in the roof when you get the Arctic package. Um, I haven't gotten him on. I've been trying to get him. So here, give you a little background. And, and just so you guys know, I try to get Pablo here. I try to get Pablo down to the dealership so I could have him on either the live stream, uh, the podcast, or just do a walkthrough video with him. And uh, he keeps chickening out on me. Now, not literally chickening out on me, but like his biz, his schedule's so busy that it's like, I got to get him on here because if I got him on here, see... Here's the thing. When you're Hispanic, I ha I worked for a Hispanic owner from um, Michoacan, Mexico. I worked for a guy that owned an RV dealership in Oxnard, California. His name's Martin. And Martin didn't feel comfortable sometimes with people that English was their first um, language because he felt his English was bad. And his English wasn't bad. His English was actually pretty good. Now, sometimes he'd have to rethink a word or something. But for the most part, like, he spoke English very well. And I know, understand that because my wife's Mexican. She's straight from Mexico. And there are times where she feels like her English is really bad. And she's been telling me that for, like, almost 15 years now. Right? So, a lot of times when they're from another country, and not just Mexico, but any other country, and English is a second language... Sometimes it becomes a little like, well, they don't want to be put in a situation where they don't look like they can speak. And it's very nervous to be on camera. Trust me, if you look at my earlier videos that I did, I had a tough time being on camera. I mean, it's taken me two years to kind of get to this point. So, um, and, and I am going to try to do a factory tour. So I talked to his son, Chris. And I think I can get, when my schedule kind of clears up closer to summer, I'm going to do a factory tour video with them. So I, I stand by for that. As far as importing an RV into Canada, first of all, you have to buy it in the United States. You, you can't simply just buy it from a state and then have it imported in the country. You actually have to drive it yourself because you're not a transport driver. If you're a transport driver driving it up wholesale into Canada... Okay, there's a bill of laden, right? And the taxes are already paid through the shipping fees that are charged to the manufacturer. That's why like to go from Indiana to Vancouver, Washington is only like 3,500 bucks for a triple haul of, of trailers per trailer. Well, if you take that same load and you go up to, um, you know, even uh, Vancouver Island, 
you're talking about fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars because of the import taxes and all that stuff. But that's on a wholesale end. What you got to do if you're a Canadian for the most part is if you want to buy something, let's say a lot of guys do it in California, a lot of people do it in Nevada, you know, snowbirds. They take the rig back up to the Canadian border and pay the taxes um, directly. And so that way that you can register it in your province. If you don't, if you do it another way, you're going to end up actually paying more money. From what I understand. Okay. Now I could be wrong. I'm not an expert in Canadian import-export laws. But from what I understand, over the last 15 years, it hasn't changed. Except for the only thing I know of is now you pay a carbon tax on top of the import tax. Now, if I remember right, because you buy it in the United States, you pay less tax overall than you do if you buy it locally at your own dealership. But, there's a but. There's a Canadian sticker that is put on everything that is <clears throat> imported into Canada by the manufacturer when it's built for Canada. It's the same thing with Washington State in the U.S., so you have to be aware that you have to have those Canadian markings and pay for those Canadian markings when you cross the border. <clears throat> okay. Um, some people have told me, and this is just me talking out loud, some folks like from Saskatchewan and, and Nova Scotia have told me the way they do it is they buy it down here in the States and they store it here. They pay. They have some kind of, they're like California. A Canadian can register and title an RV in California being a Canadian citizen. Okay, you don't have to be a resident of California. So that all being said, they'll store it, pay like a year of storage, and then after one year's over, they take it into Canada and they say that it's cheaper on the taxes because now it becomes a used vehicle because they have a title on it. So again, there's a lot of ways of doing it. Those are just a couple of the ones. Hopefully that helps you out. Okay. All right. Next email. Wow. Okay. I have a trade-in that is a 1992 fifth wheel. With a generator, solar, I have poured about $15,000 of my own money into it to make it off-grid possible. All I'm trying to do is recover about ten grand of it because I've owned it for about four years. But dealerships and most people that come and want to look at a private party want to give me a couple hundred bucks. Would it be better for me just to strip all the solar panels and the generator out of it and then go trade it in? I have been told that probably is a good idea by some neighbors, but wouldn't a dealership frown upon dealership frown upon it upon it? Okay. So a nineteen ninety-two RV of any kind. Um like I'm taking, I just took in recently a 1997 little travel trailer. I sold it for 
I took it in for 200 and I sold it for 250. Okay. It doesn't really matter what was on it because like yourself, you made all these great upgrades to your fifth wheel. Okay. It's an older one. Some people feel like the older ones are better. It would be great where someone has no way to upgrade their truck like F-150. I am going to get one and use one of my F-250 hauling 34. Oh, okay. Hyperlite. Okay. XLR. That's pretty cool. XLRs are all right. They're not bad. Um, so yeah, strip off the solar panel, strip out the generator and trade it in. Now, if it was a 2017 or 18 fifth wheel or travel trailer, I would tell you absolutely don't do that because at that point, you're just going to devalue the rig even worse than it already is because you're going to have a bunch of holes, you're going to have wiring hanging out. It's going to be a disaster. While in a 1994, you're going to find either the dealership is going to take it off your hands and create some down payment if you're a finance buyer. Or number two, um, they're going to take it off your hands so you don't have a bunch of people coming to your house trying to negotiate with you on a 1994 fifth wheel. Like me, I turn around, sell them for real cheap, turn around, get rid of them. I mean, that's how I do it. And most of the time, the people that come and buy the really older rigs, they gut them anyway. They gut them. They... they they create their own houses out of them. I, I watched a guy personally on YouTube itself, here on YouTube, saw a guy that literally bought like 15 old rigs, shipped them down to Columbia and turned them into actual houses. So there's different strokes for different folks. There's no need in you keeping all that upgraded stuff on there, especially solar panels and a charge controller and an inverter and a generator are easy to pull out. Well, they're a lot of work, but they're easy to pull out. It's not like you're trying to pull out a fridge, right? So definitely my advice would be, it won't matter to the dealer being that old. You're gonna get the same money with all that stuff than you are without all that stuff. So that will really help you out. And then, you know, you could put on another rig. You could put it on your next rig, or you could pay the service department. Here's another thing you could do. This is something I've done before in the past too, is if you're trading it into a dealership and you're buying something else, negotiate them ripping all those solar panels off and putting them on your new rig, right? I mean, it's not going to make a difference. Camping World, as an example, won't care. Most managers are smart enough to know that in 1994, they're not going to get a lot of money for it. So service can make a little money. Sales can make a little bit of money. And you get to keep probably thousands of dollars of extras that you put on an older rig, you get to keep. So great question. I haven't been asked anything like that in a long time. Usually it's about satellites, but that's that's a really, really good question. All right. The third one, and then we'll get into questions people are leaving me in comments. So I'm starting to find out a lot of people rather leave me the questions in the comments. So I'm going to read those as well. Okay. Love your channel. Love your podcast. I've been listening to both now for about five months and you're as real as they get. <clears throat> I really appreciate it. But for a lot of us that probably watch you, what's on our mind, what happens if a major corporation goes in and offers you a lot of money 
to become politically correct like a lot of other RV YouTube dealership guys. Well, that's a great, fantastic question. Um, I've thought about this. Um, I think I talked about it on my podcast once. Um, I've actually thought about this. Swear words, camping world, you're funny, Theo. (laughs) Um, Let's use Lazy Days as an example, okay? Let's say Lazy Days RV or Blue Compass, which is the old RV retailers, actually contacted me and said, look, we want to hire your channel to be our Josh the RV nerd type of thing. I would really not, I I would have a tough time saying no if it was a good amount of money, but I would have a lot of conditions. And one of my conditions, just to let you know, is that I get to talk about however I want, whatever I want, whatever I want. There will be no control over my content. Um, I heard, you know, I was talking to a couple guys uh, in this influencer space. That's very interesting. And one of them actually knows Josh the RV nerd. And, uh, you know, I, I, I actually am looking forward to one day meeting him. Haven't met him yet. I've been looking forward to it. And it just seems like him and I, I'll be at a show. I used to be at a show and he just leaving the show. Stuff like that. It's like we've never, we've been to the same spot, but always a day ahead or a day behind each other. Can't wait to really meet him. But there were rumors amongst the influencer community that when Bish's RV uh, bought out the whole thing, that there were a lot of conditions of content that he can create and you could kind of tell that may or may not be true i'm not going to say it's 100 percent true because we don't know and nor would i really even if he told me yes or no i would never tell you because that's his personal business um but i would not want to go down the corporate side of things unless i got to be me it's like mr beast in, in with, with jimmy mr beast and with a lot of these other guys it's like if too much corporation got into my channel, that's why I love my owner so much. His name's Glenn. And Glenn lets me do whatever the hell I want to. Like, you do you. You do your thing. So don't worry about that part. I would never let anybody get away from my transparency. Because a lot of people get mad at me. If you actually look at some of the comments I'm going to read, because I don't mind reading the bad comments. I actually just drives me to be more transparent but there are people that hate my videos and hate the truth because either they work in the industry and they don't want to hear about it or number two their political beliefs whether they're on the conservative or liberal side doesn't matter their political beliefs make them understand that only the television is right and only the news stations are right so um i'm going to continue to be me no matter what so you don't have to worry about that Okay, now into the, my favorite part, the comments. I relish in this because there's some really great questions. There's some really great comments that I'm really excited. Even people that have opposite views of me um, leave some great content on, on this stuff. And then I'm going to read the people that are being knuckleheads too just because it's fun. the knuckleheads can be a lot of fun the trolls okay uh let me give you one troll one and it really isn't a troll one it's actually a guy that actually is funny because i filmed a uh travel trailer i recently sold uh sold it for like eight grand okay 
And I did a, a short video on it. I always do short videos on the old stuff. And he says, after cleaning up all the puke, piss, and crap, and sex fluids, this is a steal. And he sticks out a sticky tongue and laugh. I thought it was hilarious. And I'm pretty sure he thought it was funny. Okay. All right. Here's somebody that, again, 15% of people, 15% of people in the RV industry will never buy from me because I'm too much of a straight shooter. Okay. 85% of people love my process, love what I do on camera, love what I do in person. 15% of people can't stand me. This is one guy that can't stand me. I'm paying straight cash and I'm buying from a private party to avoid all your guys' stealership junk fees. Okay. So not everybody does junk fees, uh, sir. Just to let you know. Uh, fees that are not junk. Sales tax. Can't control sales tax. Unless you live in Montana or Oregon or something like that. Sales tax is just a part of life. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, we can't sit there and simply not charge it because you feel it's a, a theft. For us to be in business as a business, as a dealership, as a grocery store, as, a, as, a, as anything that sells non-food items, we have to charge sales tax in sales tax states. Nevada, California, Texas, New York, uh, Washington State. Oh, no, no. Yeah, Washington State. I mean, places that don't have sales tax, Montana, Oregon, move to one of those states, get an LLC, pay cash, 100%. I get it. Um, fees that are not junk fees, prep. Prep fees are not junk. The manufacturer doesn't... First of all, let me start with this. Every dealership charges prep. Every dealership charges prep fees. Whether they disclose it on the contract or they hide it in the selling price when they advertise it online everybody charges prep and the reason why everybody charges prep is because the manufacturers unlike the car industry do not pay the dealership to get a unit ready it's all out of pocket so like two batteries even if you get cheap batteries battery box cables things of that nature I put two batteries on, it runs me $560 for all the equipment, the fee that I have to pay for the disposal fee or whatever you want to call for the batteries, everything else. It runs me about $560 in batteries and propane, plus fuel if it's a toy hauler, plus fuel if it's a motorhome, plus, so plus, 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 plus. In the end, it runs me an average, if you include labor and everything else, it runs me about $1,500 to get a unit ready for someone to pick up. And that doesn't come out of the factory's pocket. That comes out of the dealership's pocket. So a lot of times dealerships charge prep. Now, freight fees are bullshit. Whoop, sorry, excuse my language. I don't normally cuss on here. I usually cuss on the podcast. Um, destination charges, absolute baloney. Big, huge monster title fees just because the state allows you to do that. Complete horse manure. Okay, but you get charged prep and sales tax, license fees that are go to the state. Those are not dealership fees. Okay, that's normal everything. Now, if you want to go and try to cut corners of the government, that's between you and the government. Had nothing to do with me. All right. 
Okay, there were two people, um, two absolute people that said this. Please get to the point on your longer videos, otherwise I'm not coming back here. Okay, first off, to those two people that sent that identical comment, as I said, you're, you, 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 you can't really get to a point without putting things into context. The one video I did in December about the manufacturers being, you know, the, the president of a manufacturer sending out a letter, talking about interest rates. There has to be context. Otherwise, you don't understand where I'm coming from. Okay. So for me personally, to give you information, sometimes it takes me a little time to set it up. Because if I tell you, let's say tomorrow I say, oh, by the way, uh, Forest River Flagstaff is the best travel trailer ever built. And that's all I say. And I don't put any context in. It's just going to go, what about Eagle? What about Jayco Eagle? What about Rockwood? What about uh, Freedom Express? What about this? What about that? What makes you say that? So create. You, you have to understand that when I start a conversation, it's all about context. Well, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate all of you guys and all your support. I really do. Um, this is a, this was a great question. Um, cause I did a video on frame flex for grand design on the podcast and I'm going to do one, uh, coming up in February. Um, it's what is the best price I should pay for a 2023 grand design solitude here in January of 2024. And what do you think about the frame flex issues that people are having with grand design fifth wheels on YouTube? Well, first off, I can't tell you what the best price on a grand design solitude would be in 2024 because dealerships today still feel like grand design is full of gold and silver. Um, I talked to a, a friend of mine who sells uh, grand design fifth wheels out of the West Coast. And he told me that they've had a couple of those grand design fifth wheels on the lot for, that's the furnace if you don't know, it's furnace to the travel trailer. Um, so they, they've had a lot of grand design fifth wheels on the lot for more than a year and they're not moving and the guys refuse to discount them. And now I guess grand design finally has had it with these guys not moving the inventory and decide to offer them a bunch of money and they still didn't discount them. So grand design is tough for me to give you what the best price should be. But what I would look at is I'd look at other manufacturers at this point. Grand design is having such major problems of frame flex. Uh, it's well documented that 2017 to 2022 momentums, reflections, and solitudes are having really bad frame flex problems. And by the way, the reason if you, if you don't, I'll explain frame flex in a minute if you don't know what that is. But just so you know this is not new okay this is not something new to the industry this has been going on since the mid 90s but usually they go through this period where they go through this problem and then they grow from it learn from it and change things and one of the keys the last time this really was happening was about mid 2000s like 06 to 09 keystone montana and keystone cougar were having a lot of frame flex issues um and then you still get once in a while you get a frame flex issue with a Montana or a Cougar. But right now, momentum, uh, solitude, and reflection are really going through it right now really bad. And it's really well documented, especially the bigger ones. Not the small fifth wheels, but the large ones. What is the full-time travel 
what is the best full-time travel trailer? My wife and I want to go off-grid. We have a F-150, 6,950 tow capacity. Mark, I would look into Flagstaff Rockwood on the Forest River side. I would look into Keystone Cougar uh, on the Keystone and Thor side. Um, and this will shock you because most people don't know that I may not be a fan of the Grand Design fifth wheels, but I do like their travel trailers and I do like the Imagine. So those three, uh, most of the time, are already either inverter prepped, they already have some good amount of solar, and they use the Go Power system, which means that they can hook and you can parallel some solar panels on top. Already the majority of your Rockwoods and your Flagstaffs are already geared and ready for two AGM batteries. Um, and, and to me, they're just the best built trailer. Keystone is finally kind of catching up to that with the Cougar travel trailers. I really like them. I wish I could sell them here at the dealership. They're a bitchin' travel trailer, and I really like them. And then the Imagine is not set up for dry camping yet, but it's a well-put-together travel trailer. It's Grand Design's best item they make. Hands down to me on the service side, Imagine is the easiest to work on out of all the Grand Design products, including their stupid fifth wheels. And we found it's easy to wire a lot of solar. We found it's got a wide enough basement area to put an inverter in. Um, so, you know, that that's something really, really to look forward to. Ooh, we've got some good questions here. Hold on, we're gonna roll through this. Okay, Larry Himes. I thought about a similar sort of scenario in the inverse, 1992 unit with add-ons through NADA evaluation, internet rates drive acceptable sell prices go buy an insurance total at the auction Ooh, that's not a bad idea larry sometimes that works out pretty good um sometimes it doesn't i've bought stuff at the auction um that's total loss stuff before when i was with an older dealership that just sold nothing but used and i got screwed a lot i got really the shaft a couple of times i like the idea but i've gotten the shaft too many times on that stuff i'd rather if you're going to do something like some people do um, I like this guy that took the rigs to Columbia. He just basically took stripped out rigs that were old, 30, 35 years old, bought them for a couple hundred bucks up to a grand and made them into homes in Columbia. It, you know, I, I love that. That was great. Okay, let's go down a little more. I mean, I love the idea, Larry. I do. I, lo I, love, I love it. I love your idea. I really do. I hope you know that. I really do love your idea. Thanks for the info. We'll stay in touch. Okay, Mark. Thank you. Many of these items are standard uh, with the industry in commodity repairable, etc. This is a lot of value. No, no. I get it. Larry, I love where you're thinking. I love your brain. I like, I like the thought process of it. There are guys out there that buy junk RVs and strip them out and sell the appliances that still work really well or sell the parts of the appliances that still work like circuit boards and stuff like that. So no, don't get me wrong. I'm th th There's different strokes for different folks. You know, it's just a matter of what they want to accomplish with their older rig. You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's what I really, really want to take a minute. Now, if you don't know what frame flex is, guys, later on in the episode or early in the episode, I talk about uh, frame flex. So frame flex... There's two versions. There's the one everybody assumes where the frame is, is breaking, the actual metal frame. And then there's what really frame flex is, is the separation between the front cap where the bedroom or the living room is. So front living room or bedroom or bathroom, 
there's separation between the sidewall, the floor, and the subfloor. And it only happens in the cap. And then if it's really bad, it starts going into the floor down where the chassis is by usually your entrance door in a fifth wheel or by the basement storage doors where the wall starts separating from the floor and the subfloor. And why this happens is because inaccurate pin weights is the number one reason that I have researched where people are overloading their fifth wheel. And then there's another common denominator. So I talked to a YouTube influencer that owns a momentum that's witnessing really bad frame flex where his closet, his front closet up front, because his bed slides out, his front closet, there's daylight showing between the floor and the front cap and, and the closet area. And I got, I got a hold of him. And we talked about it, and Grand Design probably isn't going to do anything about it. This is on a 2021 uh, full-body paint momentum. And I talked to him about it because he did a video on it, and I was really curious about his hitch setup. Well, he has a gooseneck adapter. Okay? Now, what I'm finding out as I'm doing more homework on this frame flex thing a lot of the common denominator is these heavier, bigger fifth wheels. I'm talking about the 40 plus footers that are 12, 13, 14,000 pounds dry. People are putting gooseneck adapters and there's got to be a correlation when the majority of people witnessing this new frame flex and the gooseneck adapter. Now, not everybody, because there's some people I've talked to that are having this frame flex issue with Grand Design that have regular fifth wheel hitches. But there seems to be a common denominator where the majority of them are using a gooseneck adapter system on their fifth wheel. Now, a lot of reasons why people are using gooseneck adapters is because they want the lightweight Anderson hitch. Uh, they want the freedom of using the bed of their truck all understandable the turn ball in the middle of the truck is sometimes a good idea it's how agricultural trailers are, are towed a lot of times um, I understand it I'm not I'm not against it but I want to give you the information okay so this is not anti gooseneck now I'm not a fan of the gooseneck but I'm not against it either I, I understand the concept behind it the turn radius the less of a bulky item in the bed of your truck I get it, but just kind of keep that in mind. Um, also keep in mind that I'm trying to contact Mr. Lemon at Grand Design to see if they have any kind of comment about their frame flex issues. Of course, I get told to pound sand as usual because they hate my guts, but it is what it is because I don't want their trailers on my lot. That's what it really is. I don't, I don't want their fifth wheels. I'll take their travel trails. I'll take the Imagine the Transcend all day, but I don't want their fifth wheels. Okay. Uh, no offense thinks he knows about the markets and financing but folks he knows nothing at all this fellow is not even old enough to ever have heard of a prime rated 16 percent well i want to take that kind of as a compliment because if i look that young thank you so much but i know damn well i don't look that young i got crow's feet and a lot of gray hair so um, yes, I do remember when the prime rate on RVs 
was close to 16% interest when I first started in this business. When I first started in late 08, early 09, during the Great Recession, interest rates on a whole were around 15, 16% on RVs. We once in a while saw a 799, once in a while we'd see a 999, but for the most part, the only banks lending at the time were at 16 and 15 and 16% interest. So yes, I am old enough to know when the prime rate in the RV business was 16%. So yes, sir, I can, or yes, sir, or ma'am, whatever you may be, I understand that you think that I don't know anything, but I've been doing this 15 years and I know bloody well that rates in houses were not 16%, but RVs, they were really high. They were hovering right around 16%, especially right around mid 2009. And they didn't really start coming down till around the end, the middle to end of 2011. And that's when interest rates went almost to zero. And then we had 199, 299 for like a year, and then 399, 499, and then it fluctuated between 499 and 799 during the Trump administration and the last of the Obama administration. So, you know, rates are rates, right? Okay. Okay. I didn't realize that the quotation mark bid guys operate service departments as a loss. After getting laid off from the tech sector for the second time in five years, I decided to start my own one-man mobile RV service business here in Florida. I've been surprised at how accommodating the larger shops around here have been when I need parts or tech advice from them, but it makes sense now. If they're running at a loss, I'm not competition. I'm reducing their loss. Absolutely. So let me give you a little background into this. So I talked about this on the podcast in a little more in length last time uh, I did a, a service episode. So there's the service side of the car business is where all the profit is. If you actually go look, most car businesses, uh, gross profit make about five, six million dollars a year out of a small service department. It could be 13 bays, eight to 10 techs, couple service riders, and they're doing close to eight to 10 million dollars in service business a year. Okay. Now, what they net out of that's not very much, but they're always in the black and service pays the bills in the car business. In the RV business, sales carries the load. If you're not making money in sales at an RV dealership, if you're not making profit in the sales part of the RV dealership, you'll go out of business. If you don't make any money in the sales part of the business in the car business, you're probably still doing really well because the service department and parts department carries you. Part of the reason why, and, and hopefully this will help you out, Java being 215. Hopefully this will help you out. <clears throat> And by the way, congratulations on starting your own business. When you're a one-man mobile service guy, I just had two technicians of mine quit over the summer and start their own mobile service here in Pahrump, Nevada, uh, named Scott and Jacob. Good guys. JNS Mobile Service. Those two can make more money 
doing mobile customer pay jobs, then my dealership can doing warranty work and things of that nature. The only time there's really any money in a service department in the RV world is if they have a body shop and they're doing a couple million dollars every year in just body work. Because body work is where there's profit in the RV world. Warranty, there's no profit. Period. Extended warranty, warranty, it's all cash flow. It, it makes no money. So the service department of an RV dealership is a cash flow center. A service dealership, service part of a dealership in the car industry is a profit center. So they're two different things. So glad you realized that. Um, thank you so much for leaving that comment a couple of days ago. That was really cool. For $145,000, I'm wondering if I pay cash, would I get the same... I'm wondering, paying cash for one, would I get the same deal or above that price or below that price? I have no credit due to the divorce, but I do have some good cash lying around. Um, there is, so here's the thing. There's a couple of ways to go about this. Okay, first of all, I don't charge more people to pay cash, but I don't negotiate my price at all. So if you were buying from me, you would pay the selling price. I wouldn't charge you more just because you're paying cash, okay? But there would be no, there would be very little if no negotiation because there's no second or third profit center. So I've said this before, so I'll quickly go over it. Um, there's three ways to make money on a on a selling deal. Number one is through the purchase price of the RV, okay? The second way to make money in an RV deal is through the financing, where the company, the, the finance company will give you a flat for giving the loan. Sometimes it could be as little as 250 bucks. Sometimes it can go up to two grand. It depends on the loan, etc. The most I've ever been paid on a flat was five grand, and that was on a big, huge motorhome, okay? Um, that's on a flat from a bank. I'm not talking about, like, you know, marking up a rate or anything else. I'm talking about just a flat fee that the bank hands you for saying thank you for giving me the loan okay that was like 180 190,000 the loan whatever it was okay uh number three um well part of number two is also finance products like extended warranty paint and fabric things of that nature third way to make money is through a trade-in so if i have somebody that's trading in let's say a 2010 travel trailer and they're paying cash I'm probably going to be a little more negotiable with them because I can probably make a little money on their trade. Um, if I have somebody with a trade financing and a lot of down payment, I'm probably going to be a lot more negotiable with them because now I got ways to make money all three ways to make a deal. So um, now there are dealerships that are knuckleheads that want to charge you more money to pay cash or they have a special financing price. I'm not, look, I'm not against people making money and I'm not against that, but that's kind of stupid, okay? And here's why I think this is stupid, just to help you out, um, James Miller-EB8NT. Here's where, I'm going to go one step further than I already did. Here's why I think it's kind of dumb to play that game. First off, you really don't get to keep the flat the bank gives you 
or get the the kickback from the bank if the person goes and turns around and pays it off in two months. So if you have somebody that's always been, always will be a cash buyer, just treat it as if you're negotiating a cash deal. Okay? Stop trying to force people to finance because you're going to get screwed. Because... You're depending on this money coming in from the kickback from the bank, but then you don't get to see it or you have to pay it back because, oh, whoops, uh, they paid it off in two payments because I was a knucklehead and tried to cheat the system. Um, gap insurance is cheap. Most dealerships on the West Coast doesn't sell gap anymore. And I'll, I, I, that's a video for another day. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, just kind of those little things. Like, if you came in and told me, look, I'm a, I am want an extended warranty, but I don't want to pay this amount more than, what, 160 or 150 with the extended warranty. I mean, that's a negotiation that works for cash deals. Um, anybody who's raising their price for cash is an idiot. Okay? And I understand why they're doing it, but they just didn't think the process out before they decided to do that stupid shit. I mean, it's, it gets a little ridiculous when, you know, you do knucklehead crap that doesn't make you money. It costs you money. And get telling everybody, oh, well, you know, I know you're a cash buyer, but if you finance it and you hold the loan and I have to hold the loan on a handshake, I mean, you have to hold it for like six months to a year. Otherwise, I'm not going to get the money. I'm sorry. Most people are going to smile and tell you, I'm going to get one over on this guy. I'm going to tell him I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to pay it off on the first payment. I mean, just negotiate the price. You know, this is what I say. Go to a price that you list on the internet that you're willing to take a cash deal on, and if somebody's really going to finance, then negotiate the price. If somebody's a cash buyer and they want a discount, tell them no and move on to the next customer if they don't want to purchase at your purchase price. I mean, that's that's literally what dealerships should do. And then it makes the customer feel like they're not going to get game played to death and then you don't have this issue. But hey, what do I know? Well, I've been doing it for so damn long, right? <laughs> Sorry. My sarcasm meter is way up today. Like, it is way up there. Thanks for explaining why cash sales have less wiggle room for negotiating. I agree that businesses need to make a profit to stay in business. How, unfortunate, how Unfortunately, how dealers make their profits is not always transparent. So I appreciate your explanation. Hey, I appreciate you being so supportive. Do-do-do. <laughs> We already talked enough about Grand Design. 
We got 23,000 off our 2010 35F uh, Cyclone paying cash. Two reasons. Gas was well over $4 a gallon, not in California. We printed out a dealer sticker in Elkhart, Denia, where the manufacturer plant is located, which was said we will not drive there to buy, but would rather buy from you. The dealer sticker in Indiana was 23k below. We negotiated an out-the-door price. Now compare that today. Inflation is eroding the dollar. Paying cash today is frowned upon. Everything today is about credit. Dealers today make money from credit. If you research, you will find many, if not all, RVs are now junk. Uh, many with flex trailer chassis. No, that's not right. Many brands are owned by big, few big companies. That's partially right. And those big companies cut corners in every brand they own. That's only partially right. Remember, the dealer gets a buyer's rate and the customer gets a customer rate. Today, automobiles are at record repo numbers and growing. RVs are not selling that well. People are just tapped out. Inflation eroding their hard-earned dollar. And interest rates are just too high for credit. Many banks are restricting credit. So credit you get for toys like an RV are typically at a higher rate. Throwing insane rents, food, and people are just done. Well, 3FTR3349. You just made me want to get a drink. Um, <laughs> I mean, woo! Boo, no QSA porquera. One, two, three, sell, oh, two. You can send me a question. It's fine. First off, um, back in, back, first of all, back in 2010, when you got your 2010 Cyclone, banks were not lending on RVs. Like I said, 16% interest rates were roughly what was going on, and banks weren't giving out very much credit in 2010. So when you paid cash, generally dealers in 09 and 10, and even late 08, were what they're doing right now, which is dumping inventory quickly. The difference is, is there was no medium to make up any of the money. Okay. So you're, 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 you're partially right and you're partially wrong. You have half the information right and half the information wrong. So in 2010, if you bought it new, I would expect that somebody would have given you a really bitchin' deal for paying cash because they probably owned it in cash. Because a lot of banks back in 2008, 9, and 10 made you buy the inventory in cash after six months, eight months. They were stricter on credit guidelines. Um, inflation is eroding the dollar. Paying cash is frowned upon. You are right, there is a buyer's rate and there is a customer rate in some cases. I'll give you an example. There's four banks that I personally use that are prime banks, that have prime rates that 
do not let me mark the rate up. They just pay me a flat. Okay. Um, one will pay me up to 5% if I have the right customer flat. Okay. So the majority of our banks and credit unions that we use don't let us mark up the rate. We sell it at a flat rate. Now, for those of you, those banks that do allow us to mark up the rate, generally we get a better retail rate as well than we do from the banks that give us a flat. So I'll give you an example. There, I can't, I can't name the banks because in non-disclosure agreements, okay? But there's a bank out there right now that I can sell the rate to the customer for 6.99 and get a 4% flat, okay? There's a bank out there that charges 899 that I only get a 2% flat from. There's credit unions out there that are like 10.74, all kind of over the map. They're all over the damn map anymore. And they don't pay me anything. So the reality here is that you are partially correct. Are they all junk? No. Do all of them, are there many flex frames out there? No. Are there too many that they're, they're more than there should be? Absolutely. Especially Grand Design fifth wheels. So I'm going to disagree with a lot but agree with a lot too. So I don't disagree with you completely, but I don't agree with you completely. Are a lot of brands now owned by a few big companies? Yeah, four major ones. Are they all cutting corners? No. There are brands like DRV, which is Mobile Suites. That's owned by a big corporation. A big mother company owns it, and they don't cut any corners. They're really, really good, solid product. Uh, Riverstone by Forest River. They don't cut the corners that Grand Design fifth wheels do. Grand Design fifth wheels don't cut the corners uh, that uh, Primetime fifth wheels do or um, Jayco uh, entry level fifth wheels do. Um, there's uh, travel trailers like Coleman and Springdale and Wildwood. They cut corners more than Flagstaff and Rockwood. But we're talking about it really, and, and, and to be fair to all these brands, it really depends on what you, you get what you pay for. You seriously get what you pay for. So if you're going to pay, watch this, $15,995 for a brand new trailer, you're going to get a $15,995 trailer. You're going to get the quality of a $15,995 trailer. If you spend... Now, I'm not saying in every case, okay? But if you spend $200,000, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, you're going to get a lot better quality unit than you are at $15,900. But I'm going to be very blunt here, and because I'm, I'm trying not to be too harsh, because I do understand where this comment came from, Okay. This comment came from probably somebody witnessing a lot of problems or a technician in the industry that has experienced a lot of problems. So that's why I don't want to bash this person. I'd rather say this. 
that RVs in general have had problems for 47 plus years. It doesn't matter if you buy a 1970 or a 2020. They are earthquakes on wheels. Do all of them have major problems? No. And I'll get to your question here in a minute, Theo. Are they all perfect? Absolutely not. There's no such thing as a perfect RV. I've been pretty lucky in my, the ownership of a couple ones I've had. And I've had some bad luck. It's just like with cars. I've had some really good luck with cars. And I've had some really bad luck with cars. So just keep that in mind. Alright, Theo. Alone on my 17 FR Forest River XLR35 was 10% purchase in August 20, 23rd. 23. Wasn't bad. Wasn't bad, I think. No, I mean, if you bought a, a 2017 in October of 23, you probably saved some money. Hard to buy used. Uh, used market hadn't quite crashed yet, but it wasn't at the top of its game either. So that's a decent that's a decent purchase. Uh, the market really didn't start like tumbling till late November, right after Thanksgiving. It just took an absolute crap. But that's probably a good thing because you probably would have had a tougher time getting a loan for that XLR if you waited till after Thanksgiving, given the current kind of situation with used. So, no, I Theo, that's that's that works, man. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't feel bad about that. That's pretty good. Um, as long as you're happy with it. That's the thing. I always tell people, as long as you're happy with your layout, you're happy with your RV, it doesn't matter really what you paid for it. If you're happy with what you purchased and you're happy with your experiences and your memories, that's priceless. To me, you can't put a price on memories, okay? Now, bad memories, yeah, you can put a price on that. But good memories, they're, they're priceless, especially if you're out with your family, especially if you're out with your kids. Um, if you look at my channel in general, I love doing the fishing trips that I have with my kids and my wife. I always love putting videos of that, especially Kachuma Lake, uh, Bishop Creek, Jenks Lake. I, you know, th those memories are priceless. So you can't put a value on that. Um, so I hope you're enjoying it. And then I think you're in a good space. Oh, fabulous. I like RV shows. Oh, that reminds me. I got a question in person today um, from somebody that follows the YouTube channel. They drove from Hayden, Idaho, all the way to Pahrump, Nevada. Now, if you don't know how far that is, that's like a 14-hour drive. Biggest thing I get through it with slide-in. Perfect. That's great. No, I'm glad you like it, Theo. Um... So guys, RV shows have kind of changed. So I talked to a buddy of mine that works in worked the Tampa Bay show in Florida, and my February 1st RV update video is going to be about this. So sneak peek to everybody watching this now and watching it later. Uh, here's your sneak peek. Uh, the Tampa Bay RV show sucked for sales. Absolutely freaking sucked. I know, right? 
And everybody's going to judge retail sales and what they're going to order based on the Tampa Bay show, the Cleveland show. Most people go to shows to look anymore. That's reality. So, like, Roseville, Illinois, or Rosemont, Illinois. Okay? I'm not going to use you as an example. I'm going to use the Tampa Bay show as an example. There's people that drive seven, eight hours from different states that are not in Florida that drive to the Tampa Bay show to go look at 16,000 RVs over a five-day period. And more than likely, they're going to drive back to their home state and their hometown and try to find something close to their house before they go shopping anywhere else. That's a fact. So I think one of the things I'm going to say in this video is if I were in the manufacturer's shoes, I'd stop sending dealers to these shows. Because I think sending dealers to these shows is moronic and stupid. Because you're going to pay more money at a show than you are on the dealership lot. That's a fact of life. They have to make more money at a show because of the cost of the show. Because the manufacturers don't pay for the show space anymore. They don't pay for the movement of the RVs. They don't pay for shit. No offense to Forest River, Keystone, Thor, Winnebago. They're cheap as hell. This will be your first. I want to purchase one, but I'm scared because I'm not knowledgeable enough yet. Basic Mom, go to a couple of shows. Don't... Look, if... I, I know that it's really tempting because everything I'm telling everybody is buy now because the prices are so good. But remember, I also say this. I say, if you're not ready, there's three things you have to be. I always have trained sales guys. They have to be ready, willing, and able. Most of the time, ready is the hardest part to get to. Willing and able is easy. Once you get to the ready part, most of the time you're willing and able. Okay? So don't rush the process. If you have to wait till next year and you have to spend a little bit more money, I'd rather have you spend more money and be ready and be knowledgeable and be confident than go rush the process and go jump out there just because the deals look good. Because if you rush into it a little too quickly as a newbie, and my message, by the way, my message about go buy now, go buy now, go buy now is for those idiots that are standing on the sideline thinking the market's gonna crash, okay? Go do, you you will know when you're ready. Go to this show, go look, go have an open mind, okay? Don't sit and BS people. The worst thing you can do is bullshit the salespeople, okay? Don't say the words, I'm just looking. Ask don't feel free to ask questions. And here's what you do. If you don't want to bother a salesperson because you're not buying that day or buying at that show, ask for the factory rep a lot of times most of these factory reps will be at these shows so let's say you like uh, a lance travel trailer or uh oh i don't know uh shit let's use uh uh mobile suites as an example most of the time they're gonna have a rep there at the show be patient they get bothered a lot and ask them all your questions and don't be afraid to and if they have a problem with it, show them my damn channel. Show them Josh the RV Nerd's channel because Josh says the same things I do. Like, go talk to factory reps if you don't feel comfortable talking to salespeople. But don't blow off the salespeople. Just go, hey, look, I'm not buying during this show, so I don't want to waste your time. But I do have questions. Do you have the factory rep for this brand on site? And a lot of times I say, yeah, he's over there. 
point you in the right direction. You'll get more questions answered through respecting the fact that they have to stand at a show for 12 hours. Trust me. Now, if you, it, some sales guys, especially if you go during the week and not the weekend, a lot of them will go, that's okay, I got nothing going on. What kind of questions do you have? I used to do that all the time. Shoot, if there's a show was dead on a Wednesday or Thursday, hell, I, if somebody had a million questions, I'd sit there and answer their questions. What else am I going to do? Stand around and watch my phone all day? Fuck no. I ain't going to do that. So don't be afraid to ask a lot of questions. And if you're ready in February to make a purchase, make your purchase in February. If you're ready in 2025 because you feel like you did enough, had enough fun looking and having fun and hunting around, purchase in 2025. Don't feel the pressure just because the prices are good. If you got to pay more, pay more. Okay? Usually, who I'm talking to when I put this pressure on people is the people that have been waiting six months because they think, oh yeah, market's going to crash. I'm going to get that uh, Grand Design Solitude for uh, 95% off MSRP because, uh, you know, ugh, market's not doing good and... Uh, they're going to be pressured to give it to me for pennies on the dollar. When was the last time that happened? <laughs> that didn't even happen during the Great Recession, guys. Even though we were losing our shorts during 08, 09, and 10, it was not like that. Okay? It was pretty bad. It was like it is now. You know, there are losses. Dealers are say, taking heavy, heavy, heavy losses right now to sell inventory. Blue Compass, Camping World, Lazy Days, Bishes, they're just, they're taking in the shorts right now. Meyer Group up in the East Coast, taking up the absolute poop shoot right now. Ron Hoover in Texas, that man is writing bigger checks every month just to move inventory. So yes, it is a buyer's market, and it's a feeding frenzy. But, I digress. Take your time. Well, my phone's going to die. That's all I got for today. Um, we went a little bit longer. Next Saturday, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we'll be back on here. Um, well, all right, one last one, Theo. How hard is it to buy... A new thing you see in new models, for example, the pop-up counter to increase counter space or buy a matching door to put where a water heater is behind a solid panel. Well, brother, um, it, I have always a saying, Theo, where there's a will, there's a way. And if we could put a man on the moon, we could do anything with money. Oh, yeah, no, that's true. They do get beat up in the snow. Anyway, uh, until next time, guys, you guys know you can email me at Levingston. That's L-E-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N. RV services, plural, at gmail.com. We'll be back on next Saturday night at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Until next time, guys, have a great week. Hey, go enjoy your show. And Theo, thank you for all the comments. And just remember, RV stands for what? Toolkit and sense of humor. Have a great night, guys.